Welcome to Words and Whiskey Short Pours, a monthly podcast where we have a fun time discussing fictional worlds and people that create them, all while boozing just a little bit. My name is Cross. And I am PJ, your potentially unstuck time-traveling co-host. PJ, as we find out in the interview that's going to be coming later, we're kind of time-traveling right now if we think about it. Only the uber-rich can afford time travel. So are you, like, economy class, like Spirit Airlines time travel? I am coach time traveling. (laughs) I'm stowaway time traveling. Stowaway. I'm in the the landing gear. Hiding in Bezos's luggage. Excellent. Excellent. So as we've already kind of preambled, the episode that we have for you today is a great one. Our guest is Rob Hart, author of The Warehouse, The Ash McKenna Series, and The Paradox Hotel, of which is being released today. Actually, congrats, Rob. Go check it out. Obviously, listen to this episode as well. And we're so excited for, for the release. Yeah. Today's episode, we, we just got done recording the episode. Rob Hart is amazing. I love him already. Hysterical. Super fun. Super fun conversation. We spanned a whole lot of topics, including obviously his now released new book, The Paradox Hotel, and everything surrounding it, as well as Star Wars, of course. Because he's contributed to the Star Wars canon, folks. He is. He has. The writing process and sort of hangups, recommendations, and how really, truly personalized it all is mega corporations and eating the rich because we couldn't not talk about the warehouse after we both read it in like a week (laughs) yeah of course and ice cream which is a super light-hearted way to end the episode so it was a it was a great conversation it was an absolute blast. Um, one of the things that we didn't do is we didn't talk about our cocktails of which are actually personalized for the book, which is really fantastic and very exciting. So why don't we talk about that real quick? Rob was not drinking with us, but we brought a couple of cocktails to the table that are specialized to the book and a couple of things that he's written. So I can start. So okay. I don't have a really theme name for the cocktail, but I made a blackberry vodka sour. So it was two ounces of Reikia vodka. Specify Reikia because we love Reikia and we drink it regularly all the time so two ounces of vodka one ounce of hypnotic and the intention there was to make it blue like the cover of the paradox hotel it did not turn blue but it turned out delicious anyway an ounce and a half of lemon juice one ounce of blackberry simple syrup all shaken and uh, served over ice and garnished with a lemon peel and a blackberry so It turned out bright pink, not blue at (laughs) all. So as far as flavor goes, obviously blackberry and lemon are a major flavor. But hypnotic is, it just says like uh, tropical flavors and cognac are are kind of like what's added to it. But I get a lot of raspberry off of it. So it blends pretty well with the blackberry. It makes for a really tart drink that's backed up by sweetness i was expecting it to be a little bit sweeter than it was with with that amount of hypnotic added but ultimately it worked out really really well so super happy with it crossland what did you have what are you calling the drink pj i didn't come up with a name for it because it didn't turn out blue so i was a little discouraged (sighs) january pulls the main character's name so that's where my brain went i was like could be the january i don't know could be something from the warehouse is there something from the warehouse that struck your fancy that you name it after cloud burger the cloud burger oh my fucking god 
<laughs> That's more like a beef Absolutely is. not. <laughs> you use vodka in this now. I did. So why not have why not have it be named the Zinnia from the warehouse? There we go. That's better. There we go. So yeah. that's actually why. So the inspiration for this drink and the reason for making it a vodka sour as opposed to a traditional whiskey sour was because Zinnia, one of the main characters of the warehouse, her drink of choice is a vodka rocks. And I didn't want to <laughs> just drink straight vodka throughout an entire interview. So I wanted to make a cocktail that uh, nodded to that a little bit so vodka sour gozinia love that love that kick kick it kick (laughs) crossland what are you drinking i know we had a conversation where you were very tired so i'm excited to see (laughs) what the uh, what the aftermath of that was I was building this cocktail on the phone with you, and I was super excited to talk about it. You called me to talk about the warehouse, of which I had just finished no less than 40 minutes before the interview-ish. And so I'd begun building this cocktail at this point. And I had this idea. I was going through, I was grabbing some ingredients for a couple of different cocktails that I knew that I could make and kind of customize to fit kind of my dream of the color scheme to fit the Paradox Hotel. But I went through the like tonic aisle and like spritzer aisle and stuff like that. And I grabbed a couple that I knew that I was just going to throw in the fridge to drink over the course of the week. And I also stumbled upon one of my favorite things. I talked about this all the way back in golden's golden sun, golden sun, but I fucking love Jones blueberry lemonade soda. Right. And I saw two bottles. So I grabbed the two that were there, threw them in my cart. And I was like, okay, I'm going to fucking make something with this. I thought about it when I was wandering around the grocery store. I was like, I can make, a spin on the John Ramos fizz, the gin fizz. So what it is, is it is two ounces of gin. And I swear to God, listen to me the whole way through. This is way better than you would think it is based on the list of ingredients. When I get to the next thing, you might be turned off by it, but it is incredible as long as you do everything correctly. So two ounces of gin, one egg white, pretty typical, one ounce of heavy cream, half an ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of lemon juice, half ounce simple syrup. You take all of that, you dry shake it for about 30 seconds, really quick, no ice, dry shake. Be careful, that way it doesn't, you know, burst out of your your shaker. Then you add about two square cubes of ice, about an inch, I think it's like they're two inch by two inch cubes. So add typically what you'd expect, like a regular cube of ice that might go in your whiskey, whatever. Add two of those, break them up, you know, smash them, throw them in to your shaker, and then shake that until the ice is gone, which for me took about seven minutes. It, it should be like five-ish. Pour it into like a Collins-style glass, generally speaking. That way you get like a lot of, you get like a decent amount of space and volume and it's all conical. And then you top it with the Jones Blueberry Lemonade Soda. And you pour that down the side very slowly, very carefully. Because what it'll do when it reacts with that egg white and that heavy cream is it forms this old-style like pre-prohibition soda-style cream. So... When you add it, it foams up over the edge and it builds this like solid column of foam and it's perfectly blue. I garnished it with a little bit of lemon zest, blackberry, blueberries on a little stick and it is fucking delicious. It is the best drink that I have made, designed, customized on the show by far. It's so good. Did you have a name for it? So fucking good. It's the Paradox Hotel. Like it is, it is like these, like, can you imagine mixing an egg white and heavy cream with what's something that's supposed to be blueberry lemonade? Like, (laughs) is it blue lemonade? Blue, it's it's blue blue raspberry. It's just, I think it's just called blue lemonade. Okay. It might be. Yeah. 
It looks so good, though, and I will absolutely be making berry one of those. Berry lemonade. It's called berry lemonade. Berry lemonade. Okay. Yeah. This is the drink. Like, I've done it. Mm-hmm. Fucking crown jewel happened in this episode. It was amazing. It's delicious. I cannot recommend it enough. So, cool. With that, we go to the episode. Enjoy our conversation with Rob Hart. Hey, we're we're glad to have you on the show. God, where brain? It's been it's been a day. I actually today I completely read the warehouse today and front to really? back. Yeah, just like absolutely ran through it. <laughs> oh my uh, god, that's a long book. I mean, it's you know, it was it was great though. What was <laughs> what was fun about it? I mean, it would be really bad if I said that it was bad, right? Like that would be you know that'd be an unfortunate um, moment or confrontation. It would uh, be very awkward. <laughs> but originally, so our, our concept for a show, PJ is not much of a reader. I've been reading my entire life, right? And everything like that. And so I was like, you got to get into like the science fiction stuff that you really like. You got to check out these murder mysteries. Like we like the same kind of shows. You should like the same kind of books. So basically exposing PJ to fiction. And back in the summer, I read the first two chapters of this. And like, I feel like this is a perfect book for us to upend our formula a little bit and for PJ to read it before I do. And PJ read it and then we just didn't have time to record it. And so it was finally like, oh, this is a perfect time to like go through it. And, you know, all right, it was, it was a great, great read. Yeah. So I'm just fresh off that so, experience. <laughs> nice. Based off of that, it worked that that model worked. And now I have to, like, stop myself from reading things in case we do yeah. them on the show. So. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, too, considering you're fresh <laughs> off reading this thing, like you probably know more about it than me at this point. You know, it's like <laughs> it, it's this weird thing. It's like, you know, because I'm, I'm deep in promo phase on a new book. I mean, I wrote mm-hmm. Warehouse years ago, went through that promo phase. I'm like, yeah, sometimes people ask me questions about it. and I got to think for a minute. I'm like, did I write that? <laughs> was that me was that that was yeah. a different me right mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's 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 a very bizarre feeling so obviously you're drinking a seltzer yes. today but in general what would be your drink of choice at home versus at a bar are they different are they the same you know i'm a rye guy i'm, I'm a big fan of rye. so basically if i'm at a bar i will usually just ask the bartender if they have anything interesting or anything new you know bullet is kind of like my fallback i really love there's this uh, distillery in upstate new york and, and i live in new york city it's called hudson and they do really really great whiskeys and their rise are incredible so that's that's my nighttime drink if it's during the day i prefer a good margarita nice. all right it's a great Perfect. Call. awesome i'm such a rye fan also it's so good it's so good. There's a new distillery going in down the street from where I'm from in central Minnesota. Yeah. So I just picked up two more bottles of their rye that like they're not even open yet, but the liquor store got like the first test batch case of the rye. So nice. Sipping on that. So I've had Hudson. Hudson is awesome. Like it, it was great. Yeah. You know, and they've actually, so just recently they kind of like redid how they make their whiskeys because they're, they're relatively new in the grand scheme of whiskey making because they, I think it was up until like the early 2000s, like you couldn't actually get a license to open a distillery in New York State because the it was a throwback to prohibition. The the licensing fees were so high that like they 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 did it that way to make it like kind of impossible to do. And then they realized like all these other states were like, you know, building out these great local distilleries and and finally New York kind of wised up and was like, why aren't we doing this? So uh, Hudson, uh, which is in Tuttletown, was like the first one to open since prohibition. 
And but the thing that about whiskey is that like you know that's a product that if you want to sell, you got to invest two years at least two years prior. You know, so they came up mm-hmm. with some some cool con. Like I did a tour there, and they did some cool concepts to kind of like speed up the aging process a little bit. And yeah, yeah, they they started with vodka because that's something that you could do like right off the bat, and it's just it's super cool. I love that place. That's it's one of those places that like. I'll special order from every now and again because they were doing like mail order during the pandemic. And now I kind of want to go up there because they've recently released like a new line of stuff and I just want to try everything that they have. I think I've tried their baby bourbon. I haven't tried any of their rye or really anything else from them. Yeah, their rye. It's um because a lot of ryes are sort of as long as you have a 50 per, 51% rye in, in, in the grain mix, so you can call it a rye. And their rye is a hundred percent, so it's a bit more of a punch in the face. Um, so that's yeah, awesome. if you're a rye fan, <laughs> that's like so that's exciting. sort of like the top of the mountain. Yeah, that's super exciting. I will, I will look into that because that's right up my alley. Yeah, that sounds ridiculously awesome. I'm not gonna, not gonna lie. I, I had a, so I lived in New York for a period of a couple of years and moved because of the pandemic down close to my parents' situation. And my roommate went to Hudson a couple of times and he brought back some like beaker shot glasses. And I still, that's like what I measure all my cocktails with to this day. It was because nice. he, he was a part of the opening. Yeah, it was, it was like there were always bottles at our place. I didn't try the rye. We just had the vodka at home. Yeah. But, it is worth tracking down. Definitely, definitely will do that. So obviously you're you're doing this kind of conversation about Paradox Hotel, moving through doing this promo phase, of course, for the the book. Do you want to explain a little bit about it? Give us like a little bit of the the elevator pitch, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So so Paradox Hotel is about a hotel for time travelers where essentially we invent time travel and it's this massively expensive endeavor. And it becomes a tourism industry for the super rich. And so when the book opens, they're at a period where the government is on the verge of privatizing it. So you've got these really, these trillionaires who are coming in who are trying to buy up the rights to literally all of time. And as this is happening, the, the head of security at the hotel, January, she walks into a room, she finds a dead body, but she's the only one who can see it. So there's something kind of wonky happening with time and she's not sure if it's like, a murder that's going to happen or hasn't happened or will happen or if it's just like kind of like a sign of her declining mental state so she's basically like trying to solve a crime she hasn't sure has actually happened that is fascinating it, it was a weird one and actually my agent was kind of like don't do this and that's that's because my original pitch for it when i first tried to explain to him i did such a bad job it was like this mishmash of all this all this stuff and i'm like and there's going to be dinosaurs and there's going to be robots and he's like please man please like come on <laughs> And uh, so I stamped my feet and I cried and he finally relented. And when I, I sent him the book and he read it and he was like, okay, man, okay, you got me. You made it work. Nice. That's got to be a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, like he wasn't wrong. Yeah. Like it was a bad pitch. And I was coming off the warehouse, which is sort of like a, a quote unquote issues book that was like kind of a big deal. And so he thought that this was kind of straying too far afield and going kind of like too wacky sci-fi and you know, to my mind, it's it's in the same kind of realm because I just I hate rich people, you know, and, and <laughs> I I will always be happy writing books about how billionaires will let the world burn if it means adding a single cent to their stock portfolio. So this is very much in the same wheelhouse for me. Yeah, and that's totally an after awesome. effect, especially after like literally tearing through the warehouse today. Very evident. And it was it was beautifully poetic in its own way, where the entire thing was kind of the the stacking of the internal pen test of the whole story. Oh my gosh. It was just cheers. I can't wait to see where this one twists me all the way back, especially with a time loop story, right? Like Yeah, that was hard. Oh my God. Like 
I've always wanted to do a time travel story because I just love time travel stuff and I always wanted to do my own version. And then I sat down and started doing it and I was like, oh God, what have I done? You know, because like you just find out that like, man, time, time loops and time paradoxes are not easy to keep track of. And, you know, I, I thought I finally nailed it. And then I gave it to my editor, who who's just like a brilliant, brilliant story technician. You know, he did like The Martian. He did Ready Player One. He did. He does Blake Crouch's stuff. So the dude is. Makes a, so much is sense. A, yeah, he's like a threat level genius. And um, yeah, he just like he he called me on the carpet on a lot of stuff. But but he also really helped me make sure that like everything was kind of backstopped and really made sense. Yeah, we we actually started with Blake Crouch. Those were episodes that we recorded but never released. But sort of as intro books, we did we did uh, Recursion and Dark Matter. Those are great books. Blake's a good dude, and that's one of the things that's really exciting about working with this editor, uh, Julian Pevia, because because Blake has been like incredibly welcoming to me and like sort of like mentored me through some stuff. And yeah, yeah, just a fantastic guy. Awesome. Good to hear. But having read those made me super excited to read Paradox. <laughs> like it, it gave me it gave me similar vibes off the off the what would you call it? The idea of it, I guess. Yeah, I've always really loved that that whole sort of like weird big idea quantum physics like kind of sci-fi thriller stuff and you know mm-hmm. warehouse was a little bit that in the sense that like there were some sci-fi elements to it but it was mostly like you know day after tomorrow stuff it wasn't like really crazy tech and technology and this was like oh man i have to like invent time travel from the ground up like how do i do that so it, it was it was a rewarding and sometimes frustrating process understandable is there if you were to look back is there a single point where there's like the inception of the idea of the novel or of the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I can tell you exactly where. Um, so, so I've got this thing where whenever I get an idea that I think has legs, I start a Google doc for it and I've got tons of them. And some of them are, are complete and utter nonsense. Like some, some of them <laughs> I look back at, I'm like, I don't even know what I meant when I wrote this down. But the idea is, is that like, if the idea keeps coming to me and it starts fleshing out, and I start getting more ideas related to it. Like the Google doc serves as like a repository for like notes and links and stuff. And so I was doing this thing in New York called Sleep No More. It's a it's an interactive theater experience, and and it's really really rad and super creepy. It's like this, it's a retelling of of Macbeth, and and you're in this giant space, this very twisty kind of. It starts as a hotel, and then like turns into like a cemetery, and then a psych ward, and then like a forest, and you follow the actors who are like going through the motions. Like like the actors don't speak; they're like kind of pantomiming. And all the audience members wear masks and you can go and you can like interact with stuff. Like you can go through drawers, you can search for things or you can follow different actors through different spaces. And I've done it like four or five times. And like one of the times I did it, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if there was a hotel where like you went into a room and it was like five minutes later or like 10 minutes ago. And so I went home and opened a Google Doc and wrote Time Travel Hotel and just kind of like left it there for like months. And then, you know, like like the like the ideas that actually come to fruition, it was the one that just kept on coming back to me and it just started kind of spinning out in my head. And then I found this like this sort of analogy in time travel, in space travel, where like space travel started off as a government and scientific endeavor and it's become incredibly expensive and governments being defunded, whereas private industries are getting into it with guys like Bezos and Musk and, and the Virgin Galactic guy, Branson, yeah. Branson, 
So, yeah, so now it's turning into a private industry that's meant to be for tourism. But if, if you dig a little deeper, there's actually a lot of money to be made in space because like shipping and manufacturing would be made better by zero G environments. If you're up in space and you can control communication networks like that's a big deal. You know, the average meteor that reaches Earth has like trillions of dollars in plutonium or, or and other like precious metals in it. So, you know, I, I was reading about that. And I'm like, man, like, yeah, OK, I see a connection here. You know, like, I feel like that's exactly what would happen if we invented time travel. The problem being, of course, that time travel seems like one of those things that, like, the more we fuck with it, you know, the worse off we're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems that seems like it tracks. And, and I feel like that's the most difficult part about writing a time travel story is because, you know, it's it's well-trod ground, right? Like these there, yeah, there's plenty yeah. of plenty of examples, you know, and I, I don't necessarily want to give give away the plot or anything. But how did you make the story different? What was kind of your, your twist on it a little bit without, you know, I, the hotel is obviously a twist. The character and kind of the murder mystery inside of it is a twist already. Yeah, I can well, see, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the twists is that there's no actual time travel in the novel. It's all, um, so the main character, uh, she, she's a time enforcement agent. She, she, she's a time cop, essentially. And she's developed, and, and this is all right in the beginning of the book. Like she's developed this condition called, uh, she, she's unstuck. And what that means is like some people are really susceptible to this. The more time you spend in the time stream, it could, it can kind of fuck with your head and cause you to kind of like experience things out of order. Like you kind of slip within your own time stream so she's she's got this sort of you know this cognitive decline where in the space she is there it actually makes her a really great detective because sometimes she sees stuff before it happens but the the end game of it is that your brain basically like short circuits and then you kind of just you know your body gives out you go into a vegetative state and uh, so i i really wanted to kind of play with it as a mental aspect you know, so there's no one actually getting into a machine and saying, like, I'm going to go to 1859. And I also kind of set myself this rule of like, OK, we figured out how to go backwards. We don't know how to go forward because that also kind of like that took away some of the complication for me. Like that made it I, I felt like adding rules in kind of made it a little bit easier. That that feels like that definitely clarifies things quite a bit because the moment that you start to lead into the forward, you can also like create loops that don't feel rewarding to a reader. Like it's hard to work out some like. If you move forward, you're potentially, I guess if you're doing it within the POV, it's okay. The more that I think about this, this is where it gets complicated. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. she can kind of see forward. But that's, yeah. again, it's a part of her mental state where like mm -hmm. she might see something and be like, I don't even know if that's going to happen. Like, what if that's just like a possibility? And so it raises sort of like weird moral and ethical questions sometimes. And it's, yeah, it's weird, man. I'm waiting for like the nerd community to like come after me on this one. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson is going to like tweet about it and be like, this book was garbage. <laughs> and I welcome that. Please, please tweet about it. I'm, book. I'm super excited from, from that point of view. I have a degree in physics. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And one of my, <laughs> one of my classmates did his senior project on the theoretical physics of time. Nice. So I, it's been, it's been years since I, size presentation on it but i i pick like i remember bits and pieces but i'd be really interested to talk to him after this comes out see if i can get him to read i it. mean i did a lot of reading and research you know and i've always been really interested in quantum physics so it's always and it's not something i claim to have any kind of like really intense knowledge of but it's always been like something that i've read about here and there and you know so so i did a lot of research and then eventually came to a point and i think a lot of writers do this where you just kind of have to like throw it out and be like whatever okay now it's time to make things up yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah 
you know, reminiscent of kind of the same thing. I think Ryan Johnson talked about something similar with Looper, right? Like that's the the kind of danger is, is like you can just keep riding yourself in circles, especially in time travel more than anything else. Yeah, because because at the end of the day, it's also theoretical, like it's right. it's not a real thing. So it's not like if you, you can't technically get it wrong. Yeah, I have to interject a little bit. I only caught a glimpse of it because you were fiddling around. But are you playing with a lockpick right yeah, now? Yeah, actually. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you know yep. it's, it's. I I I lockpick for fun, just idly while I work. Yeah, so. yeah, that was. I, I taught myself how to pick a lock years ago because I was just writing a book where a character had to pick a lock, and I was like, whatever, like I'll get a practice lock and I'll I'll do this. And I my lock picks just live on my desk because I like to fiddle with them while I'm like doing podcasts and like talking on the phone and stuff. Like it's a good way to like kind of keep me focused. it's just hysterical to me it's funny because pj does this while we're talking on our show usually he's generally either flipping it around or like playing with the lock and sand and i'm like huh it's an identical (laughs) trick see i actually i just thought because the lock is here and i had to stop playing with it on stuff because like i'd I'd just be sitting like with my hands in my lap like like doing because i i like being able to pick the lock without looking at it because that i feel like is a little bit harder because it's like one of those clear practice locks and 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 then as it starts like snapping and i'm reclosing it and it's snapping and i'm reclosing it and people are like what is that noise and i'm like i am sorry i should just invest in a fidget spinner (laughs) it's the radiator i swear yeah (laughs) i got called out for it on a work call recently (laughs) they're like what is that clicking noise i'm like i'm sorry yep yep so I feel you, but it's, it's a fun little fidget. You know, it's also, it's, it's a useful thing to learn how to do. Like there's been a couple of times where it's like, Oh, locked out. Cool. I got it covered, you know? And like, I can't do like, I'm not like a pro at it. I can't do like the, like some locks are just really harder to do than others, but you know, I've got like a passing, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding of how to do it. It's just kind of fun. Yeah. If you're ever interested in like digging in deeper, there's a really prolific lock picking community on reddit oh yeah join yeah i can imagine it, it's got like a <laughs> like uh martial arts belt ranking system for the difficulty of different locks and stuff yeah it's Jeez. it's intense it's that a lot of fun scares me because that feels like one of those rabbit holes that i will just disappear down for like a month and then find <laughs> out that i didn't do any of my work and then i'd be in trouble that's that's how i feel mm. about reddit in general like i avoid like yeah. i love reddit but at the same time joining a new community means a whole a whole thing a whole commitment so i feel like on the lock picks mm. yeah so mm. i i originally discovered your work through i think it was chuck wendig and very very great i think you guys were talking back and forth and i saw it pop up and the from a certain point of view story popped up and that was kind of what got me into kind of reading your stuff and working through kind of the back catalog and whatnot and i want to know if you had to choose would you choose the sequel trilogy or the prequel trilogy you know, because we all know the originals are best. Like we we get it. Yeah, of course, of course. No, I would definitely uh, the sequel trilogy, uh, without a doubt. And and I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, I I was more of an Indiana Jones kid than, than than a Star Wars kid. But I just remember, you know, and I know it's a it's a weirdly divisive film. But I remember watching the Last Jedi and being like, oh, I understand this now. Like that film put like the entire series in perspective for me in a way that I'd never really kind of appreciated it before so i would say like that's probably like my favorite of the bunch you know it, it, it was fun writing a star wars story it was weird it was scary because it's like oh my god like i'm gonna be i'm gonna be writing st- like i i get to contribute to the canon like are you kidding me and it's a short story but it's still like 
you know, it was funny. I picked uh, Will Rowe Hood, who um, is is the character who's like when when the when they're running through Cloud City, there's just this guy in the background um, that's running by with what looks like an ice cream maker under his arm. And, and just so people know, the 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 whole anthology is basically different authors picking like different like side characters from the movies and like retelling the movies events through their perspectives. And he's sort of like one of those characters that has like a really deep following, like a really deep fan base. And so when I when the editor was like, which character do you want? I'm like, oh, I want Will Rowe. Well, I'm sure someone took Will Rowe at this point, but I'm going to throw it out there. She's like, actually, shockingly, no one is asked. And I'm like, cool. And and so I wrote the story. I felt pretty good about it. And they were like, okay, cool. We're going to send it off to Lucasfilm now so they can do their check. And I'm like, oh, no. And, <laughs> and I got to tell you, they had one edit on like something like the thrusters I referred to on a ship or something. Like this really minor detail. But otherwise, they were like, yeah, this looks good. And I'm like, that's like, man, you know, that's like getting the, like in the nerd community. That's like getting the sign of the cross from Jesus. It's like, I did okay. <laughs> that is truly a golden ticket in its yeah. own right from, from Lucasfilm. I genuinely didn't actually realize that they were canon. Yeah, well, you know, they had thrown out like all the extended universe stuff years ago when um when Disney bought Star Wars and they're basically like and I think Wendig's novels were the first ones that were sort of like the new canon of like multimedia being built around the uh the films. And so, yeah, no, I I think it would technically be considered as canon at this point, which is just sort of like a a weird weird bizarre thing, but super fun. Yeah. I've got the one that your story is not in, unfortunately. Okay. So I'm going to need to get the other one and read through that. Yeah, that was a fun so, project. How did you get started as a writer? How to get its hooks in you? Where where that begin for you? I was uh, I was like 18 and on the verge of failing out of college of my first semester. I went into college as an art major and it just turned out it wasn't for me. You know, it wasn't working. I mean, I was drinking and partying too much. We didn't just didn't help but um i knew i needed to make a change and around then i read survivor by chuck polinick and was just really blown away by that i was like man like i didn't know books could do this and um just kind of like oddly decided i was going to be a writer but instead like but but i didn't really want to get a creative writing degree so i got a journalism degree and you know worked as a reporter for a couple of years then worked in government for a few years then like ran a small press for a few years and like so i always kind of had this goal of eventually writing uh, publishing a novel and so yeah, I would say probably when I was 18, I started my first book and I'm 39 now. My first book came out in 2015. So however the fuck old I was then, like 32 or 35, I can't do math. So I was in my mid thirties when my first book came out. So, so it was a bit of a trip, but you know, that that's kind of publishing for you. It's, it's just a very, very long road. And the, the, the best way to be successful is to be stubborn. That's great. That's great advice for sure. I feel like some of the stubbornness, what a lot of people talk about is just the like sheer quantity of either novels that they work through or ideas that they kind of go through. How many did you go through before you landed on what ended up being your first book? Or did you just refine? Until No, I, I wrote a whole first novel that was just like the worst piece of garbage ever. And there's one copy of it that lives in my filing cabinet. I don't know why I haven't destroyed it yet. Like I'm afraid like I'm going to like I actually think I told my mom. When I was like writing out my will, I'm like, if you find this, destroy it. Don't try to get it published posh- posthumously. Like, don't fucking go set a watchman on me. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, you know, I I, I do think that a lot of authors kind of need to burn the first one off because I think in the first novel, you're really, you know, you're finding your voice, you're finding your process. You're also emulating all the writers that you really admire. So uh, it will often sound like a kind of like a knockoff of of other better authors, and so. 
I think once you burn that one off, you can kind of more more confidently move into your next one. So my next one, I mean, I write fast now. Like, you know, Paradox, I think from like actually starting the writing to finishing the first draft, you know, it was probably six months. Whereas my first book took me like five years start to finish. So I, I, I've slightly refined my process since then. Just slightly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I definitely feel that in over over the course of time, I definitely burnt the first one and the second one just because, you know, it's like you said, it's like you're imitating for the first couple or, for, yeah. you know, however, maybe it's a word count thing. Maybe it's just, a, you know, however long it takes you to kind of work out that bug. Well, it's, it's hard because like, especially if you don't get into like an MFA program or something right. like there's really no training. You're just trying to like figure it out on your own. And and it's different for everyone. Like I know, you know, I'm not going to say who it is because I, I, I don't confidently remember if she said this or not but there there there's an author uh who i really really admire who i think is a fen- phenomenal writer i think she wrote like five or six books before her first one hit you know like sometimes it's just that that's what it takes mm-hmm. yeah i think like even brandon sanderson was on like novel seven before he got published yeah but he didn't do any redrafting or something like that so you know like just for comparison's sake sometimes it's just blowing through word count until you figure you know you work the muscle until it actually grows so yep yeah, I, I did take having taken your source quote of storytelling course in Lit Reactor. Absolutely loved it. I love the idea of this, the Google document that we talked about with Paradox, of course, and kind of the idea of how your ideas live and you research them. And I want to say your insight on structure is just incredible. Highly recommended to anyone listening out there who is a wannabe writer for sure or wants to be a writer, I should say, not a wannabe writer. You are a writer if you're writing as long as you keep doing it. Yep. But. I really appreciated your insight into pulling indirect research from other mediums like film and TV. How do you think that affects your writing process and how do you incorporate that into the process? Well, yeah. So, so yeah, I, t- I tend to split research up into direct and indirect sources where a direct source is like, okay, I'm writing a book about time travel. I'm going to read a book about, you know, how time affects the brain. And I'm going to read a book about, and I'm going to read like, you know, Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking and stuff like that. But, you know, when it comes to like indirect research, to me, that's sort of like more mood and theme and tone. And so, you know, I, I watched Time Cop, which, you know, remains a really amazing movie. I watched The Grand Budapest Hotel, which, you know, I just wanted to watch like a cool sort of hotel movie where it was like kind of like a closed container. And, you know, I, I think indirect stuff is good because sometimes a, sometimes you just kind of need to get in that storytelling mindset. But B, I think what it does too is, is, is it helps you identify certain tropes and also kind of see like what's been done before. And that way, you know, you can kind of move away from those things or kind of reinvent them a little bit, try new stuff. And, you know, and sometimes the indirect stuff takes a really weird form. Like there is a, there is this novel called Now is the Hour by Tom Spanbauer, who is probably my favorite author of all time. And you would not in a million years put that and paradox next to each other and see any kind of connecting thread but there's something there was a little bit a little bit of something about the structure but also just sort of like the tone and the feel of the novel that was like yeah yeah like this is in the wheelhouse so yeah sometimes that stuff is kind of like tough to explain it's just sort of like whatever gets the juices flowing what was the spanbauer no- novel that's uh now is the hour now is the hour okay yeah his, god his stuff is so good after reading consider this i have like a list from what polonik referenced inside of the the book talking about writing and spam power in particular and i just haven't i haven't gotten to them quite yet but absolutely very interesting especially in all the lessons that are imparted through that book which was 
insane. Yeah, I, I was really lucky to uh, to get to study with Tom. He did, you know, and and he sort of his health has been declining um, oh, no. in recent years. But probably like seven or eight years ago, I got to do a weekend workshop with him out at his, his house in Portland, Oregon, where it was basically like three days in his basement with a bunch of other writers just like talking craft and stuff. And he is a brilliant teacher. And yeah, like he taught Chuck, he taught Lydia Yuknovich. He came out of the Gordon Lish school with like Amy Hempel and so he teaches like what's called dangerous writing and minimalism. And it's just, yeah, I learned more in those three days than I did in the entirety of the rest of my life. Jeez. And that seems to be what Chuck says and consider this. He's like, really, I'm putting this down to really be less of a lesson from me and more of like rehashing what Spanbauer gave us. So that's yeah. So going into the warehouse a little bit, I loved all the perspectives that we got through it. The three, the three stories that are told. I have a couple of questions about that. First of all, what was it like sort of getting to the head of a sort of predatory, greedy billionaire and writing in sort of a way that justifies his actions? And then what was it like just taking that perspective, the, the sort of three different perspectives and how is how does that compare to how you wrote for Paradox? Sure. You know, it was the first time I was writing a book from multiple uh, POVs, which was a fun challenge. And yeah, so Gibson Wells, the the CEO, who's like the richest, most powerful man in the world, like, and and like like a super rah rah capitalist. Like, yeah, that was kind of tough because like I lean super liberal and believe we should be marching, you know, billionaires to guillotines in the town square. But yeah, you know, the, the thing that really unlocked that for me was I read Sam Walton's autobiography and then, and, and it's crazy because it's like, you know, he's from Arkansas. He's got this like down home Southern charm to him, but this is the same guy that like, and he's always talking about like, you know, my employees are my family. Everyone who works at Walmart is my family. And this is the guy who, when the federal minimum wage act was passed, he split all of his Walmarts into separate entities uh, so that he wouldn't have to pay minimum wage to any of his employees, which is a shitty way to treat your family. So, you know, it was this, this back and forth between the way he presented himself versus the way he really was. And also just that sort of intoxicating charm of his that it was like, oh, I understand this now. Like that's actually the thing, the thing that completely unlocked the book for me. And it was really fun writing in three perspectives because what I found is that as soon as as soon as one character things it felt like things were like slowing down or, or getting stagnant, it was like boom, gonna slip switch to another character. You know, it, it was definitely a challenge because it was the first time I was doing that, and I loved being able to sort of play different characters' perspectives off things where like one character would view something one way and another would view it differently. Uh, but it was nice to sort of... So so my previous five novels had all been like first-person present tense, and so that's what I did with Paradox. And, and it was like slipping into an old pair of shoes. You know, it just felt really comfortable. And, you know, I don't want to say that I'll never write, you know, third-person, multiple POVs ever again. Like, I, I'm actually... The next book that I'm kicking around might end up being something like that, but yeah, it was it, it was a fun sandbox to play in for a little while. I had a blast with it. I I really loved it. So awesome, great to hear. Yeah, and I I think that especially using that Walton comparison is so apt because of the way that Wells behaves, and it is he's intoxicating. That charm is truly outrageous, and you can just start to hear those like hints of megalomania in all of those like little bits yep. at the top of everything, and it's so brilliantly interwoven in that way it was yeah it was a tough character to write you know for for me it was about you know like because 
you know, a lot of that stuff is rooted in like pride. And and so it's like kind of like tapping into that vein of like, what do I feel prideful about? What do I feel confident about? And then just taking those, those feelings and just kind of like blowing them out to like the nth degree. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that it came together the way that it did. Yeah, it, it's incredible, of course. And I mean, it's been optioned as well for a, a film at this point. I believe it's Ron Howard's company um, that yes. has it. What what was your, what's your involvement? Congratulations, A. Um, and what's your involvement in that process look like? Pretty low key. So I did get to meet with the screenwriter like toward the beginning of the project. Uh, this really really nice guy Scott who had a great take on it. And yeah, you know we have conversations every now and again where they'll kind of like spitball stuff with me. Like they're they they haven't like completely shuffled me off to the side, you know. And I've heard some things lately that are kind of encouraging. But the thing is, is like nothing's nothing's done until it's signed. Like right. I'm kind of because like Paradox is optioned for TV. The Ash McKenna books are optioned for TV. Like I will yeah. believe these like and nothing has actually been greenlit yet. And and even if they are greenlit, I'm not going to believe it until I'm like physically sitting and watching them. You have the Hugh Howie stance on that. Like not until the moment that we're sitting in either the production chair, it's on my TV. Will I believe it's happening? But but I've been pretty lucky in that all three projects, like they've kind of kept me somewhat involved. And, you know, because like with the warehouse, you know, that's a movie. Someone's going to write the script. I didn't really want to write the script because I didn't know how to write a script. But whereas with like Paradox and Ash, I get to write an episode if they both if either of them get greenlit, which would be super fun and, and, and is a, a, a lower bar to clear because like someone else is writing the pilot. They have a room of people actually breaking down the season and I can just come in and you know, if I fuck it up, then they could just rewrite it <laughs> for, for whatever reason. That makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of that. It's that interesting bit with TV where it's the the writing by committee is such a different experience. It seems I, I don't know. It's it's so it's so interesting versus kind of the private nature of, you know, writing a novel. Yeah. You know, I, I'm actually kind of curious to see it. Like, I don't I don't actually want like a spot in a writer's room because mm-hmm. a lot of times that would, that means moving out to LA for like three to four months. And I got a kid, like I don't want to be away from her for that long. So um, I'm content. Like th- 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 this is basically the George RR R. Martin deal where you get to swoop in, write an episode, hopefully the coolest one. And then, you know, everyone else worries about the rest. And and that makes sense. Give, give you either the intro or the, the last episode, right? Or, you know, whatever the climax is. Um, yeah. And were those rights sold like just a couple of days ago on uh, Paradox? Did I read that correctly? Or were they a while ago? No, that was. Yeah, that was weird because so we sold the book on spec, which basically means that like okay. I wrote the first like 50 pages and like an 18 page outline for my editor and he read it and he was like, cool, let's do this. And that was like before the pandemic hit. And and then as the as things were like, I think it was like just before things locked down, you know, we did the announcement about the deal in Publishers Marketplace and my my film and TV agent was like, now nah, we're going to wait until the book is done. This is a weird one. We It's better for us to have the whole thing in front of us. And, and then the announcement went out and she started getting all these calls from some like really interesting people, like people that I was like, holy shit, like they want to work with me. So we ended up with like four production companies who really wanted it. And I ended up going with Working Title because uh, they just had like a really great take on it. and. Yeah, and then we signed it, and then they signed a writer, and the writer finished the pilot. And I read the pilot recently, and it's amazing. And I actually had to, I had to, because because they didn't do any kind of formal announcement for it. They they kind of want to wait to do their big splashy announcement if like they attach an actress or like a like a streamer picks it up. So I had to go to them. I'm like, guys, like I'm going to start promo on this book soon. Like, can I talk about this? Because 
it would be really great if I can. Because it's one of those things where it's like, you know, when I was talking about Warehouse, I'd be like, you know, hey, I wrote a book. And people were like, oh, that's adorable. And I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, but but it was optioned for film by Ron Howard. And they're like, oh, you're serious. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it changes the tone immediately. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's that's been in the works for a long time. But, yeah, the pilot is just absolutely brilliant. Like I reread it again. I read it like a week ago, reread it again, like two nights ago. And I'm just like blown away by the job this guy did. It's so great. And working titles, like not, not small by any means. They've published a number and been a production company for a number of absolutely fantastic movies. So, oh yeah, yeah, no, they they do great work though. I, I, so, so they also did the movie cats, which (laughs) see, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. Um, there, there was actually a conversation that I was having about with with them about it. And, And there were like four, like very, very good production companies, like name production mm-hmm. companies that wanted right. to do this. And I went with working title and, and we were having like, just kind of like we were bullshitting with like me and like my contact over there and some other people. And I'm like, and the subject of cats came up and I'm like, that's actually one of the reasons I picked you guys. And, and the, and, and they just get really quiet. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. Cause I'm like, look, no disrespect because I loved the movie because it was sheer madness and, and I thrive on that stuff. But I was also like, look, that is an uncompromised vision by someone that, that, that is something that beginning to end, no one interfered with, no one tried to change, you know, that, that, that is such a singular vision from that artist. And I was like, that tells me you support your artists. And they were like, okay, fair enough. That's a fantastic take on that. I have yet to watch Cats, and I'm I'm very excited for it in the context that it is just absolutely outrageous. It feels like the thing to have an old fashioned in hand and just kind of sit and watch the shit show happen. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those movies that you really need to yeah. watch. Like a drunk, be with your friends, see maybe with some edibles. I don't know what you're into, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's just like and it's like I remember I, I saw it in the theaters and I got so excited because oh, like yes. Ray Winstone shows up at one point and I'm like what is happening here <laughs> absolute madness that's that's so good but then I think they also just did um, last night in Soho too which is you know not an identical premise but at the very least it, there's like a flirtation like a 30% overlap in my brain with what I imagine Paradox having some tie-in themes with in its own way have you seen last night yet you know i i keep on meaning like i keep on meaning to watch that because mm. it's it's available on streaming and because because i'll watch anything edgar wright does at least twice and i just it's one of those things that like every time i try to sit down recently it's like oh good there's like eight things that i need to work on now that my kid's asleep so sooner or later i'll get to like it. this <laughs> yeah like this it was, right. good it, it was i won't won't spoil anything because that's not our bag uh but i bought, bought it like a week and a half ago because i was like shit i i didn't get to go see it in theaters i'm gonna i'm gonna you know just pony up and get it and then it comes out and streaming like a week later and i was like come on come on yeah. really that's uh, the way it goes yeah i think you'll i think you'll enjoy it given cool. propensities so i'm gonna ask kind of a an oddball off the wall breakup question a little bit you are stranded on a desert island and there is a magical deli counter that will make any sandwich you'd like but only one for the rest of your life what sandwich do you choose this is the easiest question i've ever been asked in my life (laughs) um the white house special from white house in atlantic city which is it's this old school sub shop in Atlantic City, like a couple of blocks up from the casinos on Arctic Avenue. And they do like these gigantic subs and 
their everyone that I've had there is great, but their White House special, it's like, you know, it, it's like an Italian deli sub, like, you know, classic, like, you know, provolone, capicola, ham, like all that stuff. And then like hot sweet peppers and oil and vinegar. And it is like, like if God was a sandwich, like this would be it. I remember my dad the first time, like he, he had heard about it and like we drove down to try it. And I remember he, he takes a bite and he just looks at me. He goes, this is obscene. And I'm like, that's the best way I've ever heard a sandwich <laughs> described. And, 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 and it is something that so so Atlantic City is like hour and a half to two hour drive for me. And there are times where like I've just jumped in the car and I'm like, I'm getting White House today. You know, it is just it is so oh yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I would eat that sandwich for the rest of time. That is perfect. I can totally relate. And now I want this sandwich like you've you've fully sold the White House sandwich that's amazing yeah oh god like just thinking about it now is like man like if they were still open and my daughter wasn't sleeping you know i might be on my way oh man that's awesome so kind of a morbid curiosity for me as someone you know aspiring writer writer do you ever listen to music when you write like what's what's that like for you yeah, I do. Um, okay. You know, I, I like music without words. You know, I, I tend to go back and forth between like weird electronic shit and classical. But I tend to the the albums that I go to the most are are Nine Inch Nails Ghosts albums. Fuck yeah, that's like all I write to. Yeah, yeah, because they've got this really nice feel. Like they're really melodic and they're really mm-hmm. good. But they've also got like this kind of like creepy, dreadful nature to them. And I feel like half the time I'm writing like stuff that is creepy and dreadful to me so it just kind of like gets me in the right headspace for it that is exactly what i gravitate towards so that is fantastic to hear because that is i just i throw i throw it on in the background it's great of course because you know it was free for a long time they came out with the the double album inside of the pandemic too which is great locusts yeah. and together yeah those are really good i was so excited when those came out because i'm yeah. like yes more writing music finally yeah yeah, I definitely gravitate towards the the Reznor Ross soundtracks and Ghosts in particular. Um, yeah, though, though, if I'm if I'm writing like any kind of like really actiony scene or fight scene, it's usually Name of the Game by Crystal Method. Ooh. I will put that on because that makes me want to like run through a wall. Yeah, great calls, great calls. Glad glad to hear because it, it's so interesting because it's so it's so different for every person. You know, it's like what do you need to write? Like, what's your setup like for writing? Yeah, yeah, you know. You know, and, and, and I talk about this a lot with people. It's like so much of writing is like finding your own process and your own voice and what works for you. And, and it is really interesting to hear what people do because, you know, j- just as an example, like uh, my buddy Jordan Harper, who wrote this incredible book called She Writes Shotgun, he was talking to me about how he writes his book out of order. Like he writes his favorite scenes first and then he writes all like the connective tissue. And I'm like, that is insane to me. That's how do you do that? I wouldn't finish. I just write the fun scenes and then give up. Like, yeah, (laughs) cool. I'm done. But but then it's it's, it's fun to kind of think about to be like, wow, like maybe I could try that sometime and just kind of test it and see how it goes. And, and that's fun. It's like, you kind of, you know, there, there's plenty of advice I've gotten over the years. That's been really helpful to me. And there's plenty of advice I've gotten that it's like, you know, this just does not work for me. So yeah, that's one of those fun conversations is when you can start like picking and choosing and pulling from different sources. What's a piece of advice that didn't work? I'm curious if there's one you'd throw out that was recommended that didn't work for you. The, the one the, the one thing that, that I, and I and I hate this is like when people are like, if you want to be a professional writer, you have to write every day. Mm-hmm. I think that is utter and complete nonsense because you know what? I don't write every day and I write for a living. So whatever. But but I actually do think that's kind of damaging because I've I've seen it multiple times like people on twitter or people in my classes or just writers that i've talked to they're like oh man you know 
I can't write every day because I've got a day job because I got this because I got a sick family member, whatever. So it's like, I guess I can't do this. And it's like, no, that is not true. You could do whatever you want. It doesn't matter if you write every day. It only matters if you get the work done. You know, and I go very long stretches without writing anything. And, and I tend to write in really big binges. Like I can, I can bang out 10, 15,000 words in a day. I think I did 25,000 words in a day once. I wrote a third of my, my second novel <laughs> in like over, over, stretched over like a day and a half. Like I just kind of hit a tear and I was like, cool, whatever. Actually, most of the warehouse, like a lot, a big chunk of the warehouse I finished, I was flying to Singapore and I was like, it was a 17 hour flight to Dubai and then like a 12 hour flight to Singapore. And it was like, okay, cool. I got nothing else to do. Let's work, you know? And like that, that for me was great because it was like, cool, no distractions, no place to go. I'm stuck on a plane. This is miserable. I'm just going to dive into this thing and do it. So yeah, I think, you know, writing advice in general, you really got to take with a grain of salt and anyone who tells you that anything is a totem, like you have to do this in order to be successful. Like that's something you can feel free to ignore. Yeah, that feels like one of the big things that, like, you know, it, as a young writer, you might gravitate towards something like Stephen King's on writing. People are very impressionable, and I feel like that's that's a great thing to say. I, personally, I try to write 300 words a day, but, you know, when it doesn't happen, you don't beat yourself up about it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know what? And, and and that is a great target to have. But, yeah, and, and I, the only danger there is, is you're exactly right, is to not beat yourself up because you don't want to, like, be like, oh, I missed my 300 today. I must be, you know, and then you can't get back on the wagon. And it's just, it's, it's not good. It spirals, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like my, my attitude has always been like the work gets done or it doesn't. And I just like it when the work gets done. Yeah. As long as it gets finished, right. That's mm -hmm. kind of the, the biggest, biggest target. Yeah. So when you're on those tears of writing in your downtime, what's your media consumption? Like, is it similar genres to what you're writing? Is it completely separate and different? as to not like taint what you're writing like what's what's that sort of I, I go back and forth sometimes like you know usually if i'm really really in the middle of something i tend to like be so laser focused on it that i'm not doing a lot of consumption like sometimes i'll just like kind of watch a movie to give my brain a break and you know whether or not it's in the same genre it doesn't really bother me it might just be something i feel like the need to catch up on i don't tend to re-watch a lot of things or reread a lot of things these days because I feel like there's too much new stuff for me to get to. But yeah, you know, I, I know some people like when they're writing fiction don't want to read fiction or, or, or whatever. You know, I feel like if, if I need a break, I need a break. But in a general sense, yeah, like when, when, when I'm focused, like every free moment I have is pretty much spent writing. When you're in those tears. Yeah. 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 Like I get in the zone and it's like, yeah, that's just the end of it. And what's that timeline look like generally for you for a novel? Is it generally a span? You know, research obviously is however long it takes to get to the point of where you're bursting with information, right? But what's, yeah. what's that look like once you're actually, you know, kind of in the shit, so to speak? Yeah, like once I'm actually doing it, it's like usually a couple of months to get a first draft out. And then I usually do like four or five drafts before I send it to like, I'll send it to a couple of friends. I'll send it to my agent and kind of like let them go wild on it and probably do like one more pass after I get feedback from them. So I mean, I would say probably ultimately takes me around a year, probably a little bit less though. Cause again, like, and this is, this is from having a journalism background is I just, I work really fast and really efficiently because it's like, again, like I hit that zone and I, I give myself a deadline and it's cool. Like I'm going to hit that deadline I type really fast. I used to <laughs> have to, ha I used to have to transcribe a lot of interviews over the phone. So you just mm. kind of get to the point where it's like you, you, I, I, I type absurdly fast. So I tend to like, that, that that's why I can do like these these long tears and I can get so many words out at once because like I just start flying on it and almost going into a fugue state. 
yeah wow yeah i i imagine that helps pretty significantly now we're aided by technology and this entire thing is just gonna be automatically transcribed and i don't have to do anything so it's fantastic that way but lose out on the advantage of of writing and typing very quickly so obviously like it seems it's more as it strikes you less set a goal and like stick to it right every day all that stuff like you mentioned has that process changed or the way you thought about your writing process has that changed since shit hit the fan with covid especially being in new york city yeah i mean if anything i've had more time to write you know i mean i'm not really going anywhere i'm not doing anything the what i've been able to find a a fun balance on is that like so so the days that i have my daughter you know i can really kind of like focus on her and really spend time with her on the days she's with her mom are the days that like i really can like knuckle down and get my work done so that's really kind of the ebb and the flow of it like the only thing that really changed for me which really bummed me out was i rent a uh, so i'm part of uh what's called the writer's room it's it's on broadway near astor and it's this cool like writer's grotto where it's like big big giant room with like you know desks and you can go grab a desk and you can work there and it's it's a quiet zone with no phones and they got like a little kitchen a little break room and and you know it's just it's a fantastic fantastic place to work and i just stopped going throughout most of the pandemic because it wasn't it wasn't open and, and they've reopened it and I, i've been going back there and just like having that sort of neutral space again has been really helpful because you know when i'm in my apartment it's like okay like time to write and then i'm like but I could play video games instead, you know, or the apartment's messy. And I'm like, oh, but I got to clean my apartment first. Like, I can't concentrate if everything's messy. So, so there are just too many distractions where if I'm there, it's like, you know, I got nothing else to do, you know, but I'm also like not a coffee shop guy. You know, I would prefer to be in sort of like a, a neutral space like that. And it sucked not having that. It's really, really, really nice to have it again. That that is entirely it's so relatable, by the way, because it's entirely like I'll sit down. And it's like, oh, yeah, I need to unload the dishwasher. Oh, I shouldn't start the dishwasher because I'm about to sit down. Right. Mm, shouldn't do that. You just bounce from like thing to thing to thing. Man. Yeah. Painful. It's great. to It's great to hear that all of this is very, you know, relatable on humans are moderately the same but you mentioned games i'm curious any any current infections that have that have caught your fancy i, I recently finished the uh, the campaign mode on, on halo infinite which i really dug and i have i played a few rounds of multiplayer i need to get back into it i sort of i i kind of made a choice where i was like i'm I've, I've got a lot of things like sitting on my plate right now and i'm like if i get really into this i'm not getting anything done so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like trying to knock some things off my to-do list before I retreat into that for a little while. And also like, you know, because I've been out of practice on that game for a while, I, I played a Slayer match and immediately got my ass kicked. And I'm like, I got to work my way back up. But yeah, it was nice to play some Halo again. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely jealous. I haven't hopped into Halo yet. Was the campaign ultimately worth it? Was it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, it's like, you know, I, I've always really dug their 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 weird ass like kind of world building and storytelling, and so and and, and the the music is great, the voice acting is great. So yeah, you know, it was it, it was, the only thing that sucked is it was one of those things where it's like, hey, we're not going to resolve this story here. Wait for the sequel, and it was like, boo! I want to know who the endless are, especially because it feels like that was kind of the aim of Infinite was to end the trilogy, right? The like four or five. I, I think. I don't know. I think it was meant to restart it. Like, okay. who knows? Yeah. Three, four, three, whatever you're doing, I guess just yeah. keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Cross and I kind of got not started, but early on in our friendship was a whole lot of halo at my house. 
Yeah, nothing will ever nothing will ever match the heights of the Halo 2 multiplayer. I think that's when they really sort of like God, I, I was working like a night shift when I was a reporter. I would work to like five till one in the morning and I, w- I would come home and my buddy Andres would be sitting on my porch just waiting for me and we would play until the sun came up and it was just like the most glorious thing in the world. Duels, you played like, you know, pairs and then you do like pistols, BRs on lockout with no, no yeah. fields. Oh man, I think it was called, I think it was called duels or something like that. I can't remember. God, that was, that was the highlight for sure. Yeah, I remember there was this one there was this one game we were playing where like and it was amazing. We actually lost by like one, but like just before the timer hit zero, I had I had stuck someone with a sticky grenade. So like it logs the loss and then the sticky grenade blew up, killed two people, and then changed the ranking so that we won. And like we started cheering and screaming and like waking up the other roommates in the house. They were yes. so angry. They were not nearly as excited as we were. We tried to explain it. It was not a comfortable conversation. But yeah, that was fun. I didn't realize it could change. Yeah. I didn't uh, either. The ranking like that. But it was like it was one of those moments where it was like, this is special. And I'm gonna remember this for the rest of my life. That is that's an amazing memory. Is there anything else that you want to talk about with Paradox, of course? Because obviously that's the highlight here. That's what we've been pumping to our patrons and to all of our listeners has been kind of paradox centered stuff. Is there anything else that you think we missed? N- nothing you really missed. I'm I'm really excited for people to read it, man. It's yeah. like, you know, it's it's fun because you know, this is now so I mean, we're recording this on February third. The book comes out on February twenty second. Mm-hmm. And we're getting close. You know, and it's so weird to live with this thing for so long and like, but it's just a thing like, and people have read it, you know, some of my friends have read it, my editor read it, my agent read it, like, you know, but, but you still have this feeling of like, you know, are people going to like it? Is this thing even good? Are people just like trying to make me happy? And and now like, now that I'm getting like some reviews are coming in and some coverage and some reactions to it, it's like, it's really gratifying and it's really exciting, but it's also like that, that giant bundle of nerves of like great like i've got a book coming out in a few weeks and good god i hope it does well so yeah it's like it's super fun and super scary at the same time but but it's also this makes it really pleasant to be able to just like jump on a podcast and like bullshit with some people about it you know it like it kind of takes a lot of the anxiety out of the process which i really appreciate so yeah yeah this this was a really fun conversation Really, really appreciate that. One of our patrons just got the arc two days ago, I think. I think maybe it was like a day or two ago. She's super excited to read it. And I was like, God, you got it. You got it before I did. That's not fair. But I totally pre-ordered, grabbed one of the the hotel cards because those are insane. Nice. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. That that. was the weirdest thing because like, and this is why I love my marketing team. It's like, so we had like our big like publicity marketing meeting just sort of like you know, laying out the the groundwork of what, what the campaign was going to look like. And we were talking about swag, like some kind of pre-order thing. Usually they make up something like for the warehouse, they made up these like lanyards to give away conventions, which were pretty cool. And I sort of just on a lark was like, wouldn't it be cool if we just made like hotel room key cards, you know, because you can custom order them online. And they were like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And I was like, okay. You know, and I didn't think they were going to do it though. And like two weeks later, like my, my marketing lead, Kathleen sends me, she's like, here's the draft of what the hotel card's going to look like. We're going to order, you know, X amount and give them away to people who pre-order. I'm like, holy shit. They and then they sweet. sent them. Yeah. And then they sent me a pile of them and they're like actual, like heavy duty key cards. And they put, they, they made a logo for the hotel and they put it on it. Like this thing is goddamn ridiculous. And I only have like 20 and like, I just like, 
I, I need to like put a, at least a few away in a box somewhere and just like try to figure out how to hand out the rest. Um, yeah, no, I'm glad you put in for one because because they they have a limited number and and it's just such a cool weird little thing. Yeah, yeah, it's just a it's a neat bonus and i was like this is perfect for like a bookmark you know going forward yeah. or what have you like it's it's just a great little reminder and memento token i think pj's pre-ordered but i don't know if he's registered for one i bet he's doing it right now i saw him freak out <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh the link is on uh, in my instagram bio the link is there on my website the link is there um but i could always send it to you guys directly if you want but yeah no definitely get one for sure. Well, yeah. we'll have this come out, of course, on, on February 22nd. So this will this will be, you know, release day for sure. I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know how any of this stuff works. Like, pre- it's so weird <laughs> because pre-orders are a big deal. But also, I think a lot of people like, you know, they don't really get into pre-orders. I'm trying to schedule a lot of stuff for like, you know, the few days before and then for like a few days after just there's a little bit of a spread. So like, yeah, go with God on this one. Yeah, sure. (laughs) We'll shoot it into the void and see if it sticks. Yeah, surprise (laughs) me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll we'll definitely figure that out. So, sign off question. We're we're trying to figure this out. This is kind of a new series that we're doing in terms of interviews, but we're working out this final question, which I thought is fun. What's an absurd thing that you love? Like, what's what's a fun a fun not necessarily hobby, but you know, what's something you love? What's absurd? In terms of absurd, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if it would really count as absurd. Like, I'm really obsessed with ice cream to a degree that, like, is is probably unhealthy. Like, I make my own. I'm like constantly like trying to track down like new brands and stuff. And you know, it, it's only absurd when I go to the doctor and he's like, "Why are you doing this to yourself?" <laughs> the damage. The damage. Are there any crazy flavors that you've had or anything that's like pushed you in a direction? Like, what's a? Oh yeah the the best. The, and this shouldn't have worked. I don't know how this worked, but it did. Jenny's ice cream, which is my fa- like one of my favorite brands, they did a, a bagel uh, and everything bagel uh, with cream cheese flavor, and it was basically like a cream cheese ice cream with like everything bagel gravel, which was like sesame seed and, and garlic and stuff. And and I swear to God, like I, I just like it was a limited edition, and I'm like I'm going to order two just in case, you know. And I'm glad that I did because I started eating the first one. I'm like this has no right. To be as good as it is. And it is one of the best ice creams I ever had. I will say probably the other absurd thing. And again, not really absurd. But I have gained a a huge appreciation for kids movies. Thanks to my seven-year-old daughter. I have seen Encanto more times than anyone on this planet. Um, I know every song by heart at this point. It's a sweet movie, though. It's real fun. We actually saw it twice in theaters. But yeah, no, I and like I actually like really enjoy now like our movie nights and like, you know, like, oh, let's watch up, uh, which was last night. And then I was like, I completely forgot about the emotional devastation of the first 10 minutes. (laughs) How'd she handle that out of curiosity? (laughs) Oh, she you know, she it it doesn't hit her as hard, you know, but she 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 kind of gets it. But like all all Disney movies are about like a parent dying or someone. Mm -hmm. So but yeah, like the one that really kills me is Inside Out with with Bing Bong. Every time they have the big Bing Bong scene, I completely fucking lose it and i was actually walking near central park like a week ago and i saw richard kind he was out walking his dogs the guy who voices the character and i wanted to go up to him and be like you have made me cry more times than anyone ever has with that one and 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 then i was like you know what that's a weird thing to do to someone i'm not gonna go do that That's a weird way to put it. This random encounter. You know? Yeah, yeah, and and everything I've heard, I like because like he's he's like one of those guys who's like he lives he lives on the Upper West Side. He's out and about. Like I know people who've run into him and say mm-hmm. that he's like a very very sweet man. Uh, but I was like, nah, I'm just gonna let him walk his dog. I'm gonna go get myself some coffee. 
<laughs> that is i think both of those for the record qualify as absurd things yeah, appreciation probably. those are those good. are good lists especially ice cream i mean no doubt in oh, kids God. movies jesus God, what was it? I watched Mitchell's versus the machines because Phil Lord, Chris yeah, Miller, right? So, so good. good. So good. Yeah. That was one of those ones that like, and I knew because it was Lord and Miller, I was yeah. like, this is going to be good. And I was like trying to convince my daughter to watch it, but she's like, no, I want to watch, you know, Moana for the, the, the millionth time. And I'm like, please God, can we watch a new movie? Anything and then she watched it. And then we did nothing but watch the Mitchell's versus the machines for two weeks. So like it's, it's the double edged sword. It's like, I watched the movie and then it's great. And then the hundredth time you see it, it's like Chinese water torture. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple of very young siblings and they got into uh, teenage, the newest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie for Ooh, whatever reason I've, when they were growing up. One yet. Yeah, no, it's not great. And it's really not great the hundredth <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah. There's only a few that I can't tolerate. Boss Baby, I can't stand. Every time she puts on Boss Baby, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read on the couch while you watch that. <laughs> I'm going to totally tune this out. Yep. Oh, man. I would like to to bring it to ice cream once more. Because <laughs> sure. PJ was um, blown away. I get ridiculed for loving vanilla ice cream, like as my favorite flavor. Okay. So 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 let's And let, I'd like your opinion on that. Let, let's unpack that. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the thing. Vanilla is actually an immensely complicated flavor to do well because it's so subtle and, and it's the blankest slate of all the flavors but but there there are a lot of really amazing amazing sort of nuances to it it's like having like a really fine whiskey you know like you might drink 10 10 whiskeys in a row of 10 different brands you know there's going to be subtle differences between them which is and that's the way it is with vanilla and um yeah so jenny's ice cream does a, a honeybean vanilla that is just unbelievable like like out of this world my favorite vanilla is probably the mexican vanilla at amy's ice cream in austin texas of which they do mail order too and so like they send you like a, a bunch of pints like packed on dry ice so they stay frozen but if you're ever in austin like w- whenever i go to austin i always stay at the austin motel which is right across the street from from an amy's so i can like eat like amy's three times a day like a lunatic um <laughs> But yeah, man, like, but, but I also feel like vanilla, like, you know, when you're trying a new ice cream place, like you got to try the vanilla because like, I think that's where you start judging. It's like, did you put time and effort into this or is it just like kind of like a castaway? And you can really kind of get a sense of like the, the, the seriousness of, of an ice cream maker by their vanilla. And so I am, I am with you. I okay. just from the, the I appreciate you, the, the Star Wars story, of course, I just knew that we were going to circle around to ice cream at the end of this. Like I, I figured I just. Some some bit of me, some bit of me assumed that was going to be the the absurd thing. I was happy how that worked out that that, <laughs> that I got the ice cream maker guy yeah, of everyone, right. and, and then I was like, oh, I got to make an ice cream reference in the story, and then I was like, oh, I got to figure out what ice cream is called in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> this is a weird job that I have. Yeah, for sure. What'd you end up calling it? Just I think in, in Star curiosity. Wars, like their version of ice cream is like Necto Freeze or or some weird shit like that. I don't know. I wrote the story like two years ago, but um, but yeah, no, there there there's an actual like term for ice cream in in Star Wars, and I was like, I got to figure that out. But luckily, there are a lot of resources online to just to to find things like that out. What's what's the worst flavor of ice cream you've ever had? What's your worst ice cream experience? This is just ridiculous at this point, but I love it. <laughs> Anything with mint. Ooh. I do not believe that ice cream should taste like toothpaste. And it does do every mint. time. Yeah. yeah. Can't do mint. Can never mm. do mint. Yeah. Can you do mint cocktails? Just not ice cream? 
not a big fan of mint and cocktails. Like I kind of came around to them. My buddy, my buddy Eric owns this bar down in North Carolina called Yonder. It's in Hillsboro. And um, oh, okay, I live in North Carolina now, so I was like, hmm, where is it? Oh, there you go. Um, okay, yeah. so yeah, it's um, he does like these readings called Noir at the Bar, and me and my buddy Todd drove down uh, from New York, and uh, I almost drove to that from where I was. I was so close, I just couldn't make it work oh, with what I had going on. It was so much fun, but yeah. um, we were we were so me and Todd like we wake up in the morning, we 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 got there late at night go to the hotel crash out wake up in the morning we jump in the pool because it was like cold up in new york but still warm down there and and eric comes by to talk to us about some stuff and he's like all right you got to go see a witch about some mint and 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 me and todd look at each other is like is that a southern saying like what the fuck like you you need to explain that and apparently they have a drink called the witch mint mojito which the mint he gets from a witch who can only pick it during certain cycles of the moon and she won't let him pay for it. He has to perform a task for her to get it. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. What? And so, <laughs> so of course, like the first thing we ordered, when we, and it's like a specialty fancy cocktail bar. So the first mm-hmm. thing I ordered when I got there was a witch mint mojito. And I think I ended up having like three. You know, <laughs> it was real good. You're cursed now. You you carry a, some sort of curse. I don't know what it is I, yet. I, but. No, I think it was okay, man. Because like he he performed the task for her, okay. which was basically he had to go like watch as she collected dirt from a cemetery. It was some weird shit, but it was really good. That is the most wild bar story I think I might have ever heard. Um, in was, terms of ingredients, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty. It, it was a special. Now I day. want to try it. Yeah, it was a good drink, and and so I, I appreciated yeah. that I could do mint and food. Can't do mint and ice cream. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. That's wow. Which mint mojito? Well, now there's a reason to visit. Is it, does he only do it? He can only do it. Of course, when it's like in cycle, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. So just, and like, actually the last time I went down, cause, cause I did, I did the, the, the reading series twice down there. And the second time I went, they were like, yep, no witch mint this time. And I'm like, boo, <sighs> they were like, we can make you a regular mojito. And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> it's like, not. how dare you even suggest that? How dare you? That is, man, that's wild. I don't even, I'm processing that still. <laughs> yeah, I think I am to a large degree. And this was like six months ago. Oh, man. Beyond that, I think the only thing that I, I just realized I skipped any recent reads or must reads that you'd recommend to folks at home. Oh, yeah, sure. I just literally today finished All Her Little Secrets by Wanda Morris, which was so good. It's like, it's like this legal thriller, which I haven't read a good legal thriller in a long time. And really, really, really fantastic book. I loved it. And actually, up next, I have Child Zero by Chris Holm, which I'm really, really excited about because Chris has a background in like biology or something. Like he, he's a science dude and he also writes thrillers. And, and I've always loved his work. And he hasn't had a new book out in years. And Child Zero is about like a sort of. It's it's a spec thriller about like what's going to happen when we develop like antibiotic resistance to like all antibiotics and like how fucked up that's going to be. And I remember him telling me about that years and years ago, and it sounded like such a cool book. So um yeah yeah that sounds like it might be in, in your guys's wheelhouse. So something to keep out keep an eye out for. Love it. I've I've I think I've read a couple of Chris Holmes books. I couldn't pick them out in, in my brain, of course, probably because it's been a while at this point. But definitely sounds right in the wheelhouse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If people cool. want more of you, where can they find you online, offline? What might they expect when they visit? You know, where's the best place to contact and whatnot? Sure. Follow you um, online. I'm on the web at robwhart.com, on Twitter at robwhart, and then robwhart1 on Instagram because 
someone got there before me. But yeah, as for in-person stuff, I'm, I'm not doing a whole ton of in-person for Paradox. I'm doing an event on Staten Island. I might be going to Left Coast Crime in April, but yeah, now is not the time for in-person events, doing a lot right. of virtual. So if you check out my uh, my website and if you want to go through my contact form, I'm going to send uh, book plates to basically anyone who asks for free, which is kind of like a sticker that you can put in your book with my signature on it, which is like sort of like me signing it. It's a little half-ass, but you know, I'll be making those available. And, you know, and if you live in the New York area and you follow me on social media, probably at the day of release, I'm going to spend just like going to bookstores all over the city and just signing all their stocks. So there'll be signed books around if you're local. Fantastic. As far as not local, would it be your website would be the best spot to buy or pre-order? Absolutely. On my website, all the buy links are there. There's a paradox page. There's a contact form if you have any questions. And yeah, otherwise I'm usually just like being an idiot around social media too. So I'm pretty easy to find there. Yep. Sweet. I mean, that's how we found Perfect. it. But yep. <laughs> uh, well, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Sweet. Great. Right. I'm so excited to read yeah. Paradox. So totally you have no idea. Idea. I'm we're so both chomping at the bit at this point. <laughs> champing at the bit. Champing at the bit. Yeah. Champing. Well, I hope you guys dig it. It's really yeah. going to suck if you read it and you're like, fuck this book. <laughs> That's that's how, that's how I felt about like coming into this warehouse. It's like, ooh, if I have a bad opinion, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off after yep. binging it all day. It would have been weird. Thank you so much for listening to the show. This was so much fun. Yeah, absolutely, it was. Thank you, of course, to our guest Rob Hart. Be sure to check him out on social media. As mentioned previously, we've got a lot coming out on our Atomic Pylon Media Network, so keep your ears open for more. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. PJ, we're launching four shows over the next two months. Four shows? Four, including Short Pours, which is this, but you know. Okay. okay. All right. Fucking wild, including a really <laughs> big one that we'll get to announce next month, which will be a lot of fun, yeah. potentially. All right. So next up, we have screenwriter, actress, and YouTuber Pira Ford returning to discuss Gideon the Ninth and the Locked Tomb series. Check that out next month. Date pending. I feel like this is a third week of the month kind of podcast. Like, I feel like we're going to aim for that, like, nice 18th to, like, 26th spot. That's going to be, like, our... That's our, our zone. Yeah. That's our energy. That's our Q zone. You know, she's she's amazing. She's so much fun yeah. to talk to. I'm yeah. so excited to to sit down with her again. We've been trying to, to figure out a way to do this for a long time. Yeah. You can check out all of the links for our shit in the show notes. Uh, you'll find our our schedule, our Patreon, previous episodes, our websites, all of our social medias in one convenient location. If you can't be bothered to look in the show notes, you can find us on Twitter at Words Whiskey Pod. Actually, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, all the same thing. Words Whiskey Pod. You can email us at Words and Whiskey Show at Gmail dot com and patreon.com slash words and whiskey is your location for our very very fun active patreon yes yeah definitely check us out there beyond that this is the last short pour that will be published in the main feed we've got a lot of very fun things coming in this in in this new podcast that we're launching obviously it's going to be monthly it's going to be a little bit different but make sure that you follow the new show it's just going to be words and whiskey short pours you'll be able to find it it's got two nice whiskey glasses clinking against each other as the logo check it out we're going to share the same social pages of course um but make sure that you get subscribed to that new show that way you don't miss any of the fun stuff that we've coming up we have 
We have a couple of absolutely buck wild announcements that I cannot wait to make. Like our September episode is the coolest thing in the fucking world. I can't I can't even believe the opportunity that we're presented with here. So, yeah, if you're not aware by now, the reason why we're doing this new show is so things like this can live in that space. It gives us the opportunity to do fun conversations and interviews like this without breaking up the the books that we're talking about in the in the main words and whiskey show so it gives us another avenue to do different different things different shows so yeah yeah so that we can continue kind of the so we can bring back the guests that we like well not the guests that we like we like everyone we like everyone that's come on the show i didn't mean that so that we can bring back returning guests and we can have other interviews and other opportunities to talk about things in the fictional world if you haven't already listened to it we put out an episode earlier this month talking about the should escalates kickstarter it's got a couple of days left make sure that you get in there if you want to get some red rising playing cards and then on top of that we also had a fantastic episode chatting with a an incredible panel well pj was not a part of this but chatting with an incredible panel of of women about romance novels and smut and fairy porn it's a <laughs> wild pitch right at the end of this episode but check it out if you you can you can of course listen to it here but in the future any of other short pours will be in the other channel absolutely thank you all so much for listening this is absolutely a like shining bright spot on both of our weeks Every, anytime we get to record stuff like this so you guys make it happen it's awesome this is absolutely ridiculous and if you would have told me a year ago that we would have been interviewing an author that i signed like two years ago that we'd be interviewing an author that i'd like like quite a bit idolized a little bit uh i would f- have not believed you <laughs> so uh thank you so much to all of our listeners and everyone else at, at home thank you 